tonight's episode of Eureka Cast. Now, we are joined by disaster preparedness educator Jeremy Dolome, PhD, to talk about his new multimedia immersive experience, teaching children how to survive in an uncertain and possibly dystopian future. artistic work of fiction and falsehood. The views expressed in this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the broadcasters or the management thereof. Listener discretion is advised. Can you hear us, Dr. Dillon? Hello, I'm glad you're here. I'm lead media disruption developer Kai Hubris, and this is EurekaCast Now, where we discuss the latest news in science, but also technology. With me, as always, is Professor Rowan Medellar from the Simon Amy Institute of Spirit Science. Hello there, Rowan. Hello, and solemn ruminations as we broach a darkening tomorrow. This darkening evening. Uh, yeah, we need to always be considering how much light there is uh, now and uh, in the t- times in the near future. And light not just in the phenomenon that illuminates our streets and allows us to, you know, read the back of packages late at night, mm-hmm. um, but also light in the sense of, of, of good and warmth and spiritual health mm-hmm. as well, because... You know, um, we try not to get into too much doom and gloom on this program, but no, there it's is a very positive show. Th- but there is a lot out there that, to my mind, leads us to believe we are going to darker days. Um, mm-hmm. And preparing for those dark days is essential. It's essential, and it's a very important. Uh, it, it's something that science and technology needs to take needs to take seriously. It's it's the number one the number one solution that I can possibly imagine in preparing us for those darker days is, of course, science, technology, and then a combination thereof uh and also gaming because gaming is also an important part of that and uh, i can't tell you how excited i am about what we're going to be talking about on this show today uh because i well, i'm as as i said in the in the introductions i am a lead media disruption developer at tech brothers new media labs so i love new media i think new media is going to change the world hopefully for the better um and today's show is going to touch on some of those some of those facts with a very special guest. That's right. Uh, we have coming on this uh, this program um, Dr. Jeremy Dolomite, who is right now in the midst of creating um, and has actually created a disaster preparedness program mm-hmm. that uh, will basically be teaching children um, survival skills, not for today, mm-hmm. but for tomorrow. And as we said earlier, an increasingly uncertain tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Jeremy Dolomite, can you hear us? Are you coming through? Hello. Thank you. Oh, wonderful. Um, so we're here, uh, obviously. You, you, you've come on, you're coming on the program now um, because you have a deep concern for the future and what is going to be occurring in the future and mm-hmm. the, the needs to survive. Um, and as a scientist, you're making predictions about what the future could be, and you're setting up solutions, as any good scientist does, sets up solutions to prevent or at least alleviate some of the dangers from those possible scenarios. Well, I'm certainly trying. Yes. So I guess why don't we go ahead and get started, and why don't you tell us um, sort of your background? Um, What is your actual position? What's your education? What are you, um, uh, what sort of direction are you coming at this sort of big project from? Of course, thank you for asking. Well, my name is Dr. Jeremy Dolomite. Uh, I'm a disaster preparedness educator, and I like to call myself a dabbling techie. As Uh, we all are. Basically, I'm just trying to prepare the world for what's coming. Mm-hmm. What's right. coming? It's a big question. It's a question that we've, uh, we've talked about in the show, and there's lots of different possible scenarios for that. Um, but it's so great to hear that somebody is out there making a difference, thinking about the children, thinking about their situation, and you know, helping do the science, do the research that is necessary uh, for ensuring future preservation. I couldn't think of a more important thing to put your focus towards, to be honest with you. So um, let's dive in um, to this. You say that you're a dabbling techie. Um, mm. You're in. Uh, uh, what? How does that tie into what you're doing yeah. um, in this specific project? Well, I aim to train children to be able to survive 
any given future that is thrown at them. Mm-hmm. Now we all we all watch the news. It doesn't take a genius to see where the road is headed. Yeah. Uh, the Doomsday Clock is at 100 seconds to midnight as we speak, and now mm-hmm. that's the closest it's that's e- we've down. ever come to witnessing the end of the world. And it's ticking down. It's coming down fast. I can see it. It's dropping. It's dropping. Every, it. it very well could. I mean, in um, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, it was uh-huh. at seven minutes to midnight, okay. which, yes. just to put it into perspective, how insane it is for mm-hmm. it to be there. I don't like to toss around words like apocalypse, but I mean... <laughs> But let's Given just do the it. Data, it's, what it's would necessary. you call it? Well, yeah, it's I mean, not a walk in the park. There, that's for there, sure. there's, there are, are really no other words to describe it besides apocalyptic. Um, and, but, and so, I, let's yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about. Um, so we talked about the, the word dabbling techie. I myself, Doctor uh, Doctor Dolomite, would consider myself a, a dabbling techie. I work in code. I work with computers. Uh, I listen to them and I talk to them and I make things happen with them. Um, and I'm I'm excited to hear about what the plan is, how you are using your interest in being a dabbling techie and having that interest in technology to make to make that difference. What is what is it about technology that you think is going to help, uh, just help the children, help our future? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, what's the easiest way to reach children? The answer is uh, video games. Mm-hmm. I was going to say texting. Fortnite was would be no, a close second. Instagram. Well, that's all part of it. It's mm-hmm. all one connected thing. I know you passing class. The root of it all is video games. That's the that's only the way to reach children these days. Uh huh. I couldn't I, agree I, more. In fact, I and I know Rowan is making a face, but I believe uh, you've heard of STEM, Doctor Dolomite. Of course. Yeah. Of well, course. I agree. I believe in STEM. I believe that in fact uh, the terms should be science, technology, engineering. Uh, math and, and gaming. gaming. Yes, exactly. I, I believe it should come before math, personally. Stegum. These are, these are brilliant ideas that are just flying everywhere right now. I feel um, like I'm in a think tank. Let's, um, but let's, let's pin this down. So, so what inter- got you interested in gaming as a means for education? Was there a game that you played, or was um, there some sort of experience where you were watching gaming happen? Uh, what, well, what was your inspiration there? I've always understood them as a very good teaching tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a child myself, I would play, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, it's kind of a deep cut, mm-hmm. but um, Lemmings. Have you ever heard of the video game Lemmings? Is that like a, is that at all related to the mammal? Well, sort of. It's like a little guy, but basically um, the gist I'm very of it is you get, a, you, get, you get like a little crowd of Lemmings, uh-huh. and what you have to do Sprites. is you have to keep them away from danger, and you have to guide them to guide them to safety uh-huh. and uh, as even as a child I, I saw that concept and i thought hey now there's something there mm-hmm. and, and so was... c- cut to today i'm watching my nephew play these amazing video games uh-huh. where it's all like these too. intricate goals and you have all these ways to accomplish these goals and uh, you did you could disarm a bomb you could run a country you could mm-hmm. find out how to efficiently shoot people it became very obvious to me that this was a way to teach children to do things that they otherwise wouldn't be able to do mm-hmm. now you know in in school they would they would teach us uh there in pe class they would have these uh these dance uh uh units where they try to teach us these different dances um, and I can't even remember a single one of those dances. And, and during exactly. that time, I can't remember any of the kids actually learning anything. It, it, it's archaic. And frankly, yeah. I think it should be a crime the and way that we're trying to teach children how to do things today. It, but Fortnite. It, no. just, it just doesn't work. Yes. But Fortnite, you ask any child about Fortnite, and mm-hmm. I guarantee you, you're going to be having an hour-long conversation. A Fortnite uh, and I dance. Do. Uh, Fortnite dances as well. I mean, Children it, could write 20-page papers on just a Fortnite dance. And I think that's an interesting point, too, because I, I know from my experience, experience mm-hmm. um not I, I don't i don't have children i don't intend, intend on having children but i do have some nieces and nephews oh. and who come to uh you know sort of my property um where i have a great deal few of a uh, few acres a great deal of crops and um you know gardens that need to and and getting those nephews out there with a hoe and a rake and and you know to get those slugs mm-hmm. off of my um my kale is a huge nightmare but 
if I set them in front of something like Stardew Valley mm-hmm. or um, Harvest Moon, perhaps, mm-hmm. they'll sit and they'll harvest slugs all day, every day. Um, so I, I, I can see that point where you can really get to a child in their psyche through um, and, and get them to do things they might not otherwise like through gaming. I can see that absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, under- I understood this and I thought... Now, what is the most important issue that every child in not even just America, mm-hmm. I mean, of course, America, of but course. not even just America, the, the world over, mm-hmm. they're all facing the same challenges in the coming future. And that it's a wide swath of things that could go wrong. We right. could have economic collapse. Mm-hmm. There could be a solar flare that... It just wipes out all of electricity, and then mm-hmm. what do you do? And then what do you do? Yeah, and asking if you ask a child that, they have less. I mean, they'll they'll have some ideas, but they're not very good. Not not at all. It's, it's going to be our job to, as as Rowan was describing his his work with his niece and nephews. Um, it's going to be his. Well, responsibility. the work I was trying to get yes. them to do. It's going to be his responsibility to dress up as friendly bear manager Tom Nook and command the and lead these children into battle battle for a better better future. Well, to battle against the slugs that are eating my kale. Um, but but no, I I totally understand that. Um, and and that's and that's fascinating. But I think it's worth mentioning because you contacted us. We do have an email that is um, eurekacastnow at gmail dot com, mm-hmm. um, where people can reach out to us and describe uh, their project sort of the things they're working on and what you know we get a fair number of individuals with new video game ideas that mm-hmm. we we throw out most video games right. are not very good um, and we don't I, I personally don't like talking yeah. about them ratchet and clank but uh, Undertale, we get it. Yeah, we've heard it before. But this was fascinating because it's not just a video game. There's also other multimedia, more immersive components to this program, this disaster preparedness mm-hmm. training. Um, would, you, would you like to talk about that? Well, first and foremost, the, what I plan to do is develop some sort of video game that prepares children for any given scenario mm-hmm. as like the... There'd be like a scavenging component. What to look for when you're out on the wasteland? Like, is this rusty bit of pipe? Can it come in handy? Mm-hmm. Can I use it as maybe a straw? You know, things like that. Kids, kids in the wasteland, they do need access to straws. Yes. They need access to straws. They need access to self-defense tools, mm-hmm. bandages, all these things. And how do you teach a kid to look for that? Should the, the worst happen? Mm-hmm. Should should they need to go out there and get, say, a fork from the wasteland, they'll know that they can fashion it out of uh, scrap metal and a and a cleaver. Exactly, but only if you train them. Only if you train them, and you t- you give them that welding torch and you teach them how to use it. If you were to send a gaggle of children into the desert right now mm-hmm. and say, "Survive for thirty days," I ninety five percent of them ain't coming back. I'll tell you that much. Right, and the ones that do, uh, well. They're they're not they they probably didn't do it uh, the right way. They probably didn't learn very much either. No, they didn't they didn't learn a thing. I can guarantee you. <laughs> they were just lucky. Well, let's just say I can some guarantee. Punks. You. Um, but if you were to give them some kind of simulation mm-hmm. before you were to say go out into the desert and survive for a month, mm-hmm. uh, th- th- those numbers bump up to at least thirty five percent not coming back. And that's I mean that's all we can hope for is thirty five thirty six percent. Um, I'd say I'd say sixty five percent of the children making it back. Well, that's progress. That yeah, that's the future that I hope for. Right, and I mean on that in that sort of note, um, for, um, on example like um, with regards to the desert, mm-hmm. um, some of the stuff that I saw, some of the material you provided, um, it's not just um, a, a video game with a controller or even just a VR headset. There's actual no, um, facilities where there is dust that is thrown in the face of these these individuals as part of their disaster mm-hmm. preparedness, and and smells and sounds get piped in. Is that am I correct in 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 that? Yes, I'm actually glad you said something. Now, part of preparedness is, um, well, it can only be described as desensitization. Now, how do you desensitize somebody to something? You expose them to it. And what are they going to be exposed to during, well, let's let's just for the sake of brevity call it the apocalypse. Mm -hmm. During the apocalypse, they're going to be exposed to all kinds of smokes, all kinds of dusts, all kinds of radiations, all kinds of smells. These things... A mixture of you, these. You're either prepared for them or you're not. And, well, we're trying to prepare them. So yeah. what we do 
is we simulate these things for them. We, we pump in a, a, a windstorm with like dust whipping at 90 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, 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 try, we try to get them ready to, to understand what the smell of burnt flesh is and like be prepared for it and not be afraid of it because maybe there's food where that burnt flesh is. Mm-hmm. You, you don't know until you check. You don't know until until you look, until your curiosity, a natural childlike curiosity breaks through the fear uh, that has been put upon them by our current modern day educational system, uh, and they return to their survival-like instincts. Exactly. It's not just the one scenario that we cover. We Mm -hmm. we try to simulate the smell of a rising tide so they know when a tsunami is coming. Mm -hmm. We try to simulate what the heat of a flash fire is going to feel like. All these things so that they know, oh, I'd better get away. Mm-hmm. Oh, something's coming. And that's, uh, that's, actually, that's actually kind of interesting. This ties to, this ties to uh, as I talked about before, I work at Tech Brothers New Media Lab, so I work in a lot of this sort of, uh, this sort of area. And a few weeks ago, we talked about a new, uh, a new service that we are rolling out called Trauma-Informed Gaming, where we, we through games, we introduce people to some of the great tragedies and traumas in the world so that they can climb up the leaderboard and become more empathetic. Um, but you're saying we we don't just focus on empathy. We we teach kids actual survival skills um, that will help them. And in some cases, empathy might be might might be a, a detractor in in the future that we're setting up here. We we try to uh, not encourage empathy because mm-hmm. we feel as though it'll be a weakness in what's to come. Mm-hmm. So, um, sort of a brass text question: Are these these simulations? Are they generally one on one? Do you have a group of children? Um, are the parents involved? What um wh- what exactly does it look like? One of these training sessions or simulation boot camps, whatever you'd want to call it. Well, there are actually a few different programs that uh, are available to be enrolled in. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a more general group setting where I'll uh, have them all play video games at the same time uh, while I'm land blasting party. smoke into the room, while I'm flashing a strobe light, while I'm playing screams from various movies that I could find, just to get them ready for the, for any kind of trauma. What not, those... not to say that they're definitely going to experience trauma, but... Should they? So, I want them to be ready for it. What screams? What are your favorite screams from various movies? Well, you 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 have to mention the Wilhelm scream, of course. It's a so great one. It's one that they're going to be hearing a lot of. I tried to do the uh, the scream from Tom and Jerry, the one where it's like a visceral raw, like a man's yell. And yeah, it's not a cartoon anymore. You're afraid for and a second. These kids. These kids haven't seen Tom and Jerry, so this is going to be completely new to them. Right. Tom and Jerry was like forty years ago. These kids have no idea what Tom and Jerry. Is. They they don't know that fear yet. <laughs> But uh, any screams I could come across, really. I, I'm not very picky when it comes to my screams. Have you considered going out on the street and, you know, and eliciting screams yourself and recording them? I've considered it, but legal has problems with it. Uh, well, mm. I'm still working that part out. Yeah, that actually brings up an interesting question. When you have such a multimedia immersive scenario that that you're coming at, mm-hmm. that that's not just the work of one person. Do you do you, how do you do you have other individuals that work with you on this these scenarios? Um, do you get public domain sort of things? What's your what's your workflow when you actually are creating one of these? Well, I maintain a um, a staff of volunteers. I like to call them volunteers, mm-hmm. but um, they come in. They help me set up. They help me clean up. They they, they keep the children calm should they become too upset. Mm-hmm. All of these things are invaluable, of course, to us. And um, basically, it, it's on a. It, we understand it as a community service. We're mm-hmm. providing a service, right? A necessary service for the future. For the future of the world, and that's why so, and that's why you need this I, these grants. And you need we need grants. We have volunteers. It's a it's a very serious um, endeavor that we're putting together here, and we're not one hundred percent of the way there yet. We can mm-hmm. always use funding. Always use satellites. Uh, we, we we could always use government, you know, aid. Uh, it's been a little tough to get those things. I have to say, people mm-hmm. don't like to return phone calls, but. We're never we're never going to give up. We're never going right. to give up until we achieve our goals and get these kids ready. Or the um or the uh, the the uh, uh, the apocalypse occurs and then um those who were trained were trained and those who weren't were not. Um, this is as dark hard as truth. It, is as hard as that might be to say and hear. Well, we're working on contingencies for should the apocalypse happen, continued, you know, service. 
sort of like a but, continued uh, continuing education sort of thing almost exactly mm-hmm. like like you come to our bunker and we'll get you ready for what's outside of the bunker that's what we're working on i'm not going to say that we're there yet but it's in the works i i i really applaud the the resourcefulness in 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 these programs now obviously you're running on and hopefully we can only hope that you get more funding in the future for these sorts of programs but you're running on as you said volunteers um and, and various other you know uh Limited resources. You don't necessarily have the same resources that the uh, United States government or Tech Brothers Laboratories has. Um, but I've always believed in the one satellite per child initiative that Chicago has put out. Um, and you know, we've actually experimented with uh, with scenarios where we'd send kids up. We believe that every single child in in Chicago and in the world should have their own personal satellite that we can send them up to um, and do fantastic. stuff. There. Yeah. Yeah, um, and, and I'm I'm sure that you two could could um, discuss uh, you know um, that going forward um, you know off the air, um, Kai. But uh, no, I, I, I'm, I we are reaching now roughly the half point of the show. We do have a lot more with um, uh, Jeremy Dolomite, PhD. Um, we actually have a number of testimonials that I'm very excited to get yes, to. We, to, we got those, to, we got those case oh, well. files. Yeah, to see to see the children that have been so deeply impacted by this program, by this disaster. Uh, oh boy! Um, so we're going to go ahead and just um, uh, uh, put you on hold for a moment, um, uh, uh, Doctor. Dr. Dolomite, while we do, uh, um, while we go to a short break, and when we return, I'm very excited to go through these uh, these with you. Um, so please Perfect. just stay on the line, and we'll be right back to you. Um, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, but while we're here, um, it is in fact time for the mid-show midterm. The mid-show we, midterm. Before we go to break. Excellent. Um, I love these. So, a, so uh, this is of course the part of the show where we propose a question and we give individuals, um, the citizen scientists out there, mm-hmm. an opportunity to um, to engage their minds in some critical thinking uh, over the course of our. 10 or so minute break um, in answering what this question is. That's right. So why don't you go ahead and read that for us? I would love to. So the mid-show midterm for this week is, uh, and this is one for all those archaeophiles, those arco heads, archie heads out there, those, uh, uh, those, those hat and whip man fans. Uh, yes, cut, sure. According to archaeologists, which of the following Chicago cultural icons is the most likely to survive into the eons. So uh, essentially the question here is, is um, which of these aspects of Chicagoan culture uh-huh. do archaeologists believe it will be best preserved going forward for future archaeologists to, mm-hmm. to come upon? Into the wastelands that, uh, that we've been describing in the first half of the show. Um, and the four options are, number one, Cloudgate. AKA the bean, the bean, beanie, old bean head, um, a beanster. Fa- fairly obvious one, I would say. Yeah, it's um, made of solid chrome. That doesn't go bad uh, too quickly unless somebody scrapes it off the ground, scavenges it. Um, the next one is deep dish pizza. And obviously, whether or not an, any individual deep dish uh-huh. pizza would survive through the eons is um, pure conjecture. Uh-huh. I think it's – I would say that the the cultural impact of deep dish could very the well idea. extend f- for generations, hundreds of generations The symbol come. of deep dish pizza. Hopefully, they're, it's going to be carved into stones in the future. Um, the next one is the Chicago Cubs baseball team. Um, I wanted to, in that, the parentheses that it is, in fact, a baseball team. I don't know much about sports. Uh-huh. I truthfully don't care much about sports. But I believe that, you know, um, as, the gladiator, as the gladiators uh-huh. are remembered, perhaps the Cubs will be remembered as well. Uh, yes, and their, tri- their triumphs and tribulations. Um, and the final one is, uh, of course, we know them, we love them, we hear about them. All the time, it's former mayor Richard M. Daly and his great empire, and the many, the many choices that he made, the and... many lives that he's touched. <laughs> um. So once again, the question is: Which of these four Chicago cultural yeah. icons do archaeologists believe will survive into the far future to be studied by future archaeologists, mm-hmm. perhaps one day? Um. And so think about that. Figure out what you believe is the answer. Um, we are going to go to a very short break um, and uh, about a 10 minute break, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we return, um, we will have Dr. Jeremy 
Dolomite. Dolomite on to talk about some of the testimonials that we've uh, we've uh, we've taken from his his uh, his files. All right, so um, please stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> And we are back. We are back. Welcome back, Rowan. Welcome back, Kai. And it's time to it's time to do some learning of our own uh, by answering the question, by checking our notes, checking our tests, exchanging our tests with our partners, and circling in red ink the ones that we got wrong. Yeah, and, and because we have a guest this evening, uh-huh. I thought it would be very fun to get the opinion of uh, the one and only Jeremy Dolomite, PhD, uh, oh, yeah. who is here to talk to us this evening. Are you there, Jeremy? Hello. Wonderful. So um, I don't believe you are a uh, Chicago native, so um, forgive. You, you might not have the most keen idea of what some of these are we're talking about, but, you know, sometimes the uneducated um, mind can create the correct answer, can conjure that up from, Socrates said that, from, yes. from, from, from ignorance. So um, the question that we posed... Excuse me. The question that we posed over the um, break was, according to archaeologists, which of the following Chicago cultural icons are most likely to survive through the eons, through mm-hmm. uh, after an apocalypse, a societal collapse, mm. um, through what have you? Hundreds, thousands of years later. Uh, Perhaps uh, tens of thousands. Guy with a little dust, duster thing, a little makeup brush comes and brushes it off and they find this idea and that tells and them what they need to know about chicago uh-huh. or maybe what 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 they should know about chicago right they so, ought to so uh the options we have are um cloud gate aka the bean the bean. uh structure in millennium park uh, dr jeremy are you familiar with the bean i i do know of the bean yes okay, yes uh, deep dish pit pizza um, that is uh, granted not a Chicago special, not and not exclusive to Chicago, uh-huh. but certainly a Chicago um, cultural icon. You got a Uno, Pizza Uno. You got a the other ones. Connie's. Connie's has a has a slice. One at least one. <laughs> uh, the third option is the Cubs, the baseball team. Um, perhaps famously, the curse will will be passed down. Mm-hmm. Famously, they they never have and never will win a Super Bowl. And our fourth option is, of course, former Mayor Richard M. Daly. Um, love him, hate him, or uh, we'll remember him for a really long time. Uh, so, <coughs> excuse me, Doctor uh, Doctor Dolmite. Which of these do you feel is most likely to be remembered going forward into the future, into the eons? What do you, What do you think? Well, deep dish pizza. I think we can all agree it's on its way out. Uh, I think that's, just... that's quite a controversial opinion. <laughs> Never um, to be remembered. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you. But um, uh, I'm, I, I, I understand you guys are in Chicago. You're holding on as hard as you can, but. It's just time to throw in the towel on if that th- one, I feel. If you think about it, um, if we're talking about mineralogists, they might be interested because a deep dish pizza does, rebe- does resemble the uh, the parts of the Earth's surface. And hey, you know what? That very mel- well may be. But uh, if I had to predict one of these things to survive uh-huh. into the endless future, uh-huh. I'd have to say the bean. Because uh, as I understand it, it's just a big chunk of tungsten. So that yeah. right there... No, that's a that's a fair that's a fair guess. You know, I, I I one day one day a future spaceman is going to crash land on a planet and be introduced to a number of anthropomorphic animals, and only at the very end realize that uh, as the the sands have yet to cover the very top of the bean that he's been in his native hometown, Windy City, this whole time. Well, I, I will say this though: there is some conjecture, um, especially amongst those who live on the the east side, the far east mm-hmm. side, that um, the bean is in fact an egg which will crack open and and bring upon the the end of times, sure. the apocalypse. Um, not that I'm not necessarily saying I, I agree with you that, but I, that. I I do think there is a lot of wisdom in that idea. No, but we do have documentation on yeah. that. What's more memorable though than what's brought about our creation? What what has brought about our descri- destruction? <laughs> That's a great point, but unfortunately, no. The answer is, according to U of C archaeologist mm-hmm. uh, uh, Dolph Anderson, and we confirmed this with the Field Museum, the Chicago Field Museum, that they believe that uh, the legacy of former Mayor Richard M. Daly is the thing that will survive into the future. 
um, perhaps in an Ozymandias sort of cruel twist of fate. Yeah. Um, of course, somebody would write a would write some sort of. Uh, graphic novel about him maybe uh you know perhaps um assuming there isn't sort of like a damniato moratorium or sort of a roman-esque purging of the records of of his uh of his sort of uh presence no but i believe daly has covered all of his all of his uh uh all, all of his outlets. Well, you know, and and, and the reason that they came to that conclusion is that it, it because the, um, uh, for one who might not be aware that um, uh, but there is saying that Richard Daly did upload his consciousness to the Chicago Democratic machine, which yeah. by all accounts will remain spinning and churning in the depths of Chicago for uh, many, many generations to come. Just like Walt Disney. Uh, but yeah, that was our mid-show midterm. So now let us uh, go ahead and make a quick. What a stunning! Let me just let me just say, what a stunning, what a stunning man. Uh, certainly a. Uh... Remember that portrait. Remember that. Remember that. Uh, that wicked grin, at least. So um. I'm a... oh, go ahead, Doctor Dolan. <laughs> well, I must. I must say, it's obvious in retrospect, and uh, I am uh-huh. embarrassed. You know, it's it, he's easy. He's he's easy to forget in the short term, but mm-hmm. in the long term, perhaps um, vindication is just around mm-hmm. the corner. At, at two daily. So um, we are back, of course, with uh, Jeremy Dolomite, PhD, a, um, a tech dabbler, an educator, an individual here to talk about uh, how they're teaching children to survive in an uncertain, possibly dystopian uh, future. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, to that end, we've discussed already what your program is, sort of this immersive uh, multimedia um, sort of situational training um, and what it is there to uh, to do, which is prepare children for um, possible futures. But we haven't actually managed to talk do testimonials right. until now. Because the great thing about your programs, uh, Dr. Dolomite, is that you have collected an immense amount of data. Um, and I think you know, the data is key. Uh, and we were we were lucky enough to look through that data and, and collect some some of that in, those interesting notes those interesting findings because you really findings because you really did cover all your bases with these. Well, I certainly tried. All right, so a citizen scientist if I've ever if I've ever ever seen one. So uh, let's get okay. into with them. a PhD citizen uh, scientist with a PhD. Let's get the best go, kind. Let's go ahead and get into okay. these. Um, so. Um, just in this first part here, um, why don't you tell us your your what this is about? I already covered it, but let's just go through it real quick so we can hear it from your words, um, uh, Doctor Dolmine. Uh, what are you asking exactly? Oh, could you? What just... is this data? What are we look? What are we about to be? We're going to be seeing some testimonials. What should we expect from these testimonials? Well, uh, we try to keep track of which group of children is the most prepared, uh, mm-hmm. weight classes, height classes, age groups, mm-hmm. uh, any any data that we could surmise from any given child, we try to record and uh, feed into our, our system, mm-hmm. so to speak. And uh, we do grade our children. We do try to keep track on who's doing the best, who's doing the worst, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, if you were to ask me uh, what... Any given demographic, oh, what are what are their chances of survival? I feel as though I could tell you with 90% certainty that if they will survive into the future and their legacy will continue or not. Excellent. Let's get into these. Let's get into these testimonials. Um, so uh, you can go. Can you go? Um, can you uh, see these as we pull them up um, there, uh, doctor? Oh, yes, I see. OK. Uh, OK. So we have uh, our testimonial one here. Um, a young woman, uh, Sienna L. Mm-hmm. Sienna, of course. Uh, age seven um, uh-huh. from uh, Illinois. A lot of these individuals are from Illinois. Uh-huh. Um, it's a really susceptible. I, I, I know you've done a lot of uh, a lot of work, not necessarily in Chicago, but in the Illinois uh, region. It's funny you mentioned we did notice that a lot of our applicants came from Illinois. They seem to be the most concerned about preparedness. Uh, that's, that, that's that Midwestern sort of sentimentality. Uh, sentimentality. So um, this simulation, as you mentioned, there's a number of simulations that you go through, a lot of different scenarios. Um, DPS 1111 Ocean Man. Um, do you want to tell us about this simulation, what exactly went on? I'm, I'm guessing there's a nautical aspect, perhaps, and, and something to do with climate change, perhaps? Of course. Well, uh, any climate data will show you that sea levels are rising, the world is getting hotter, mm-hmm. things are going to get wet very fast, very soon. Um, now, we like to 
assume that uh, given these rising sea levels, we're going to see new new beings, new creatures emerge from the sea and try to like maybe reclaim what was lost once to them. <laughs> Do you understand? Uh, that, that, that is a, a, a common uh, a thought among the east side, the far east side as well. Yes. So we, as we understand it, uh, any of these creatures, they're going to have distinct things. They're going to have a smell. They're going to make a noise. They're going to, there's going to be things that you look out for uh, in anticipation of the ocean man coming. And what this simulation did was we, we, we would fill the room with the stink of the sea. Uh We would uh, pump the sound of crashing waves and screaming dolphins and whale songs and all the horrors that the ocean really has to offer. Mm -hmm. And on top of all that, we had a man dressed as the ocean man, as we like to call him. In a, he's wearing like one of those old timey diving bells, and he's covered in seaweed, and he would throw crabs at the children. It was, it was great fun. Looking you back touched on, on all your bases there. Yeah, no, I mean, and and, and this quote here um, uh, seems to she mentioned that it was a good time. Do you want you want to go ahead and read that for us and give us some insight I, on what she meant by this? She, Sienna could not stop talking about how much she loved the dolphin noises and the the, the, the pictures that we showed her of the dolphin corpses even, that she'd encounter. Uh, you know, even we, as even we, as she danced around crabs that were snapping at her feet, uh, she could not stop uh, pay, pay attention to and nothing other than the dolphins. An indomitable spirit, that Sienna. I have to say, I remember her fondly. Okay, so so run us through these results. I see we have cooperation, reproducibility, and likelihood of survival. Can you break down what what those stats mean? And sort of in this scenario, what they, what 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 we're seeing about Sienna and and her 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 likelihood in the Ocean Man sort of scenario. Uh, as much as I love Sienna, she was a pleasure to have. Uh, her stats, they didn't measure up. Mm-hmm. I'm an, I'm. Loath to say. Her cooperation was just, she would scream and run off and try to hide in the corner of the room mm. while her team was being let down. And, yeah. you know, it, she had a job. I understand these are children, but you have to understand that we're trying to prepare them for an apocalyptic hellscape. So we really strictly grade these things. Right. And um, it does seem like uh, Sienna was not the only one. It seems like re- reproducibility-wise, there are a lot of children that you face that are just you know, you call him. You might even call him a Sienna at this point. Like we got a Sienna here. We do. We don't like to admit it, but we do kind of have little terms that we call the children, like Sienna. A Sienna did kind of stick. Now that you mention it. Yeah. Um. Okay. So. Um. Likely, and, and let's just say the likelihood of survival. We got a two percent here. Uh, well, as I said, she would hide in the corner of yeah. the room. She would. She wouldn't try to. You know, create any of the uh, the tools that we taught her to create. Right. Uh, when the, the ocean, when the ocean man came up to her and and told her he that he, what the things he would do to her, she just cried and said no. She had no ability to get away. It, it just didn't work out for poor Sienna. Backed herself, backed herself into a corner. I, I mean, you know, the ocean man sounds like a uh, a, a quite a, quite an adversary. So um, to be fair, I don't know what my likelihood of survival would be versus the ocean man. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do have another another one. Yeah, let's go ahead. Uh, so so here we have um, uh, Cameron T. Um, six years old from Alsip, Illinois. Um, and this was, um, this was DPS 03387 Silent Mound. Now this was, um, this was a very, a very interesting scenario because, um, sort of looking through the pamphlets you provided, there was a lot of mist. Mm -hmm. There was this sort of a A lot of horror theme, sort of a psychological aspect as well. Um, do you, do do you have uh, much to say about this Silent Mound, uh, scenario? Well, this one, DPS-03387 was one of our more out-there simulations, I must admit. Mm. But we don't like to rule out anything. Like, given given the way the world's going, there's just no predicting what's happening. Who's to say there's not going to be some kind of hellish apocalyptic scenario where... Well, let's just say that we thought it pertinent to simulate sort of a nightmare attack. Uh Sort of like a more psychological, like... Not so much wasteland raiders coming to raid your base and steal your food, mm. but the things that uh, live down in your psyche actually achieving corporeality and coming and, uh, you know, t- taking their revenge on you, uh-huh. no, so to speak. And that, that makes this quote um, uh, is all the more uh, perhaps um, chilling um, or, or, or sort of um, uh, incriminating. incriminating, perhaps. <laughs> you want to read that for it, us? 
Cameron did like to yell how he didn't do anything, how he has no guilt, he doesn't understand the monsters he's seeing. And we would sit down, we would explain to him, Cameron, these are your fears and guilts coming you out made and these attacking happen, you yeah. and making you pay for the things you've done. And he would just say, I didn't do anything, I didn't do anything. Cameron was a real... He was, he, let's just call him a special case. Right. And it's really, it really is representative with these results here, it looks like. Well, I mean, as, as I've said, his cooperation was, he refused to face himself. Uh-huh. If you can't and, cooperate with yourself, then who can you cooperate with? And, like, that's the whole point of the simulation, Cameron. We've explained to him multiple times, you have to face your fears. You have to defeat these creatures. And he just couldn't get past not being able to accept his role mm. in their creation. Um, well, yeah. Likelihood to survive, unfortunately, 8%. Um, well, and once again, to, to be fair, I, I don't know how well I would personally survive if I had to go through a, um, a, a, a psychodrama, um, you know, unfolding, you know, wrestling with monstrosities of my own guilt. I think that would be quite difficult, even for an adult. But it's important to have I, I certainly wouldn't want to go through it. Oh, no. God. <laughs> um, but we have a few more. Uh, next one is case testimonial number three. Uh, hopefully this one is a little bit more, uh, a little bit more interesting. Uh, so this is a uh, uh, Cooper S, uh, age ten years old, location Rockford, Illinois, another Illinoisian. Um, and this is sim simulation DPS six seven six seven forest dweller. Would you like to talk about what that one is? So this one's one of our more traditional simulations mm -hmm. that we had come up with. Uh, more, uh, the world has ended, uh, the, the economy's collapsed, everyone's fending for themselves. And uh, we pitched to the children the concept of them having holed up in the forest and creating sort of a, a, a forest fortress mm -hmm. to defend and, uh, you know, maintain. Mm -hmm. And the children did very well at that for the uh, four months I ran this program. But at the end, we had, we had to test them. We had to test their, read their readiness. Uh -huh. And that's where the forest dweller came in. Right. We, would, we would black out the room complete darkness we would uh, simulate the sounds of of the forest at night with foxes screaming owls shrieking mm. the sound of crunching leaves and and swirling winds and all the things you'd experience should you ever be in the forest at night mm -hmm. on top of that while the children were maintaining their stations and and achieving their goals all in complete darkness of course, of course. the forest dweller would come and he would reek of alcohol and 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 just basic what you can expect a, a wastelander to smell like of course he was gunpowder explosives he would uh, mutter to himself as he walked through the children and basically the the simulation was for the children to not get mm. dwelled upon by the forest dweller and it does look like cooper was fairly successful based on this this quote would you mind uh reading us this quote from cooper s she would say this often. I shan't wander beyond the limits of our encampment, as Pastor says. It's safer for little old me here in our simple schoolhouse. She was a very good student. Uh -huh. She she played the part, so to right. speak. She got very into the simulation. And uh, <clears throat> we do have some results here. Um, and uh, wow, it looks like Cooper did quite well in this in this scenario, at least compared to some of the other ones. Oh, nice. Cooper was. A top student for sure and uh you could check the stats as i've sent over to you if you don't even believe me. she uh is one of three other students to actually kill the forest dweller and uh we're still Incredib dealing incredible. with the legality of that situation <laughs> but in terms of passing the simulation and and and, and uh, surpassing our, our expectations cooper really knocked it out of the park One fantastic all right so we're running a little low on time so let's just run through these next two real quick we have case testimonial number four uh liam a uh 15 and from aurora illinois um and and this is this is another i think an interesting one that i just very quickly kind of want to have my mind wrapped around mm -hmm. um which is dps 02069 fungal ascendancy uh, fungal ascendancy that, one of my favorites okay you see that doesn't sound like a a uh, a post-apocalyptic scenario that i'm terribly familiar with um uh -huh. sort of I, I would you would you mind diving into that very briefly well any mycologist will tell you that we are at the mercy of funguses and we mm. only exist simply because they allow us to at any given moment they could turn on us uh, that's fair I, I, that. I, I have heard actually that before from some of my uh, mycologist friends yeah but let's they're, see uh, they're 
please go on. Oh, um, I was just gonna say, well, let's see, let's see what uh, what Liam has to say about uh, about the scenario that you put them in. Yeah, Liam. <laughs> Liam did not enjoy the slimy man. You just look he at his face. No. You know that he didn't really enjoy it. And is this slimy man? Is That's he made? One of is, the slimy man, is, Liam. Is, is we he... say that to him. And... Yeah. <laughs> so is this? <laughs> Excuse me. Is this slimy man? Um, is he composed of fungus? Is he covered in fungus? What does the slimy man represent in this in this scenario? Well, the concept of the slimy man was a man who. Uh, was overtaken by the fungal ascendancy mm. and uh, became sort of a, a, a shock trooper for the fungus to uh, go into uh, various human strongholds and uh, uh -huh. and dwellings and just kind of make a mess of things for them. I wouldn't like him either, frankly. So we have some results here um, from Liam. Um, it, it doesn't look like Liam did particularly well with this, uh, with this either. Liam didn't do well, but I won't say he did bad sure it's it he he did he did within the projected ranges of uh how well the children were going to react to the slimy man as they like to call him right uh we called him ted <laughs> i mean this is a 15 year old you know it's it's a hard time a lot of hormones it's a stressful thing that he's going through. He the slimy the, man we we overlook. And better than fifteen percent is um is that is that uh is the survival chance of around fifteen? Is that what you're looking for after one of these programs? Is that is that a a, a good value? Well, we rate um the success ranges based on the the killability of whatever scenario and, and fungal ascendancy. Should that happen, humanity. It's very unlikely uh -huh. that we survive that. Right, so it's a good value for the scenario. A, given what the tools were giving to the children, they did okay, I have to say. Right. And we, we, have, have, we do have one more. We have one more. This is a very fascinating one. Um, this is uh, little Jasmine R., uh, 11 years old, from Eureka, Illinois. Oh, look at that. Mm -hmm. um, and um, this was DPS 03387 Mad Maxwell. Um, what, 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 that's very evocative, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. Am I to assume this was a sort of a deserty, um, uh, you know, raider, sort of your classic post-apocalypse? This is your classic post-apocalypse. There's no better way to put it. This is what you think of when you hear the word apocalypse. Oh, fantastic. Um, and so, um, it, it, and based on this quote, it seems to me like Jasmine actually did quite well. Um, do, could you could you read that and dive into it for us? I'm the undisputed master of the Badlands. I've suckled on the skulls of the vanquished and stand before the masses as their ruler, Sand Lord, the Sickle, and the Scythe. She would say that constantly. <laughs> sort of a mantra. Jasmine it, is one of the three students that I mentioned earlier uh -huh. that actually killed the forest dweller. Jasmine Incredible. was one of our best students. Right. Well, fantastic. So you're putting these children through multiple of these scenarios to sort of prepare them. Based on their scores, we like to have scoreboard leaders. Mm -hmm. And should these scoreboard leaders succeed in one scenario, Badges. we say, okay, how do you handle this scenario? And so on and so forth until eventually we ask them if they'd like to volunteer in the program. It's sort of a graduation system. Mm -hmm. Oh, fantastic. And, 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 and her results were actually, I mean, once again, I can't quite tell, but it looks like her results were actually quite good on the survival end at the very right. least. Well, as I mentioned earlier, we discourage empathy. And uh, <laughs> Jasmine, above and beyond in not having empathy. Uh -huh. Like she, uh, some of the other counselors said her methods were cruel in mm. just dominating the simulation. I cannot overstate how impressed I was with Jasmine's performance mm -hmm. in, in the Mad Maxwell simulation. Fantastic. Um, well, based on these testimonials, it certainly seems to me like you, you are doing a service, and, and, and uh -huh. these, these children are Great coming words. out of this one way or another, having learned a lesson. Um, but unfortunately, we have we are at the very end of the show. Um, uh, uh, Jeremy Dolomite, PhD, Doctor Dolomite. Do you have any final thoughts before um, we 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 uh, wrap it up, close it out? Cool, uh, wrap it up, close Put it, it in out. A bow. Exactly. I just think it's very important to prepare for the worst, and as we've seen, given the current state of the world, the worst is coming, and you mm -hmm. could either be prepared or not. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And and how would individuals interested in enrolling in your prog pro, uh, excuse me, enrolling in your program reach out to you um, very quickly? How how would they be able to get in contact with you? 
I'm so glad you asked. Uh, any parent who worries about the future of their legacy and wants their child to be ready for whatever incomprehensible hell awaits them in the future can enroll at preparedchild.org. Uh, child is capitalized. I paid special for that. So capital P, capital C, preparedchild.org. All right. Well, thank, thank you very much. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. And um, I am excited um, for you and for the future, although I hope that I am not there to see it. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what we all hope. Uh, take care. All right. Well, that was fantastic. Thank Dr. you so much to uh, Dr. Dr. Jeremy Dolomite, uh, PhD. Uh, teaching children how to survive in the coming possible wasteland futures, possible apocalypses that are here. Um, so we are very um, we are running a little over right now. So mm -hmm. let's go ahead and just move on to the citizen science. Excellent. And uh, this is the part of the show where we discuss the research findings and data collected by amateur scientists in the world on the street and mostly posted to social media. And this comes from uh, Vitally Melanie on Twitter, mm -hmm. who says this. Stop eating food made by people who hate their job. Imagine the type of energy they're putting into the food that you end up eating. There is a reason the foods made by loving and passionate people taste so good. Energy transfer in food is very real. Um, and, you know, I think that they're onto something because I know, once again, I've had some roommates, some cantankerous roommates before. Mm -hmm. And during those periods of time when I would ask them to make my quinoa for me, um, as uh -huh. was laid out in our rental agreement, <laughs> when they were quite upset, the quinoa did not come out quite as well. And I ascribe that to their negative their sort of sure. negative attitude, negative energies. Well, I mean, if you can put love in a food dish, then really the sky's limited in what other emotions you can infuse it uh, in. Um, I personally think that hate or, or sadness in food, prob I think it probably tastes pretty good as well, same as love. Um, so I, I think, you know, negative energy, that might not taste that bad is all I'm saying. There's no proof either way. Um, but with that, uh, let's end the show with a, uh, a quote by a notable individual in science and technology. Um, this quote is by Colby Jackson, uh, a children's media research researcher at ExxonMobil. Um, and they said this, it's sort of related to the concept of the show today. They said, to be molded, children must first be unfolded. Eurekast Now is meticulously researched, produced, and presented with the support of Tech Brothers, New Media Labs at Chicago, uh, Illinois. We broadcast every Saturday evening, 8 to 9 p.m. CST on WLPN LP, 105.5 FM, Lumpen Radio, and simulcast live on twitch.tv slash Radio at that same time. If you'd like to get in contact with us, please follow us at Eurekast on Twitter and Instagram, uh, or visit our website uh, at EurekaCast.org. Uh, and if you do engage in other forms of social media, please feel free to find us at Facebook.com slash EurekaCast or send an electronic mail to EurekaCastNow at gmail.com. There you can share with us any technological, scientific, or spiritual breakthroughs you've witnessed or participated in. Additionally, if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the program, feel free to reach out at that email, which is once again EurekaCastNow at gmail.com. And with that, Chicago, allow us here at EurekaCastNow to move on from these dire predictions to a less dire rest of your night. Sure.